Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the college conference. So glad uh, you could be here tonight, and I'm very glad that I'm here tonight. Praise the Lord. And uh, this is going to be a glorious weekend. You know what the Lord's going to do this weekend? He's going to move. Let's all say, Lord, move this weekend. Lord, move this weekend. Amen. Lord, do it. So let's read the title of the conference here. Uh, this year we are in the, this golden one here. Let's all read the title together. God's move through young people. Amen. God's move through young people. All right. And I think this, uh, we have the hymns at the beginning and the message starts on what page? Page 15. So does everybody have an outline? We're ready? All right, Lord, move tonight. Amen. Okay. Um, it's interesting to think that God moves, and he has a move. Why does God need to move? You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting there, uh, sometimes I get perfectly set in my chair. I've got my book. I've got everything just right. And then all of a sudden, I start thinking, I'm thirsty. You know what that means? I got to move. <laughs> I don't want to move, but I got to move because I'm thirsty. Um, well, that's a very small need I have there, but it makes me move. God has a very great need, and he has a very great purpose and intention, a heart's desire. And for that reason, he began to move. In fact, that's why the whole universe is here. That's why you and I are here. That's why everything is here, because God began to move. To do what? To get his eternal purpose, to fulfill his eternal purpose. Okay, you know, in Ephesians 3.11, there's a verse that tells us, actually, that God has an eternal purpose. I didn't realize that before. Praise the Lord. God showed me he has an eternal purpose. <laughs> well, if he has an eternal purpose, guess what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to move. And he moved to create... The universe, he eventually, you know, laid the foundation of the earth, and he created man. He did a lot of things. Sometimes I'm just amazed. Lord, you went to so much trouble. Whether you look at the highest, you know, uh, parts of the universe, or you look at the deepest levels of, uh, you know, molecular biology and all the subatomic particles, it is mind-blowing what he put together here. This creation is incredible. Okay, he did all that. Why? because he has an eternal purpose. This is all part of his move, okay? Um, well, let's, uh, this thing here, though, this says God's move through who? Yeah, through Christ, but through young people. This is the title of the conference. Tonight we're going to see God's move through Christ. That is, we are laying the foundation tonight. But the title of the conference is God's move through young people. Isn't that amazing? I am so happy that God moves through young people. You know, when I was a college student, I was a freshman. I was, uh, it's my freshman year, I didn't do very well. And so that, that summer, I prayed. Listen, I, in my dorm room, I prayed very seriously to the invisible God. I did. And, um, but guess how he answered me? And he did answer me. But he didn't answer me as the invisible God. He answered me through some young people 
who he could move through. Some young people that he had called and that he could move through on the campus. Eventually, I met them a few months later, and my whole life got turned around. Think about that. I prayed to the invisible one. But who came to me? (laughs) Young people. That's how God moved to me. You know what he did? Saved me, first of all. Saved me from what? Not hell. I was already regenerated and, and justified and so forth, reconciled. But I needed to be saved from the life I was living, the destination I was heading toward. I needed some practical salvation. And he saved me through the brothers and sisters. He shepherded me through the brothers and sisters. He uh, enlightened me through the brothers and sisters. Anyway, this is, um, this is the way that God moves today. You know, in the Old Testament time and, you know, in creation we were discussing, he moved just as God. Let there be light. You know, let there be this. Let there be that. But beginning with this message and, you know, with Christ, his move is no longer just as God. And neither is it like using man or through man, but it is now in man. He is going to move in man. This is a huge, huge change God took when he, uh, in Christ. Okay, so let's go to message one. And um, let's read the title. I already read it a couple times, but let's go. God's move through Christ. Well, just real quick, I kind of skipped a little bit, but, you know, regarding that eternal purpose, what is it? What does he want? What is he after? What's his intention? What's his heart's desire? Good. He wants a bride. He wants, a, uh, he wants man. Okay, you know, in the beginning of Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. He, and uh, he wanted basically, and then he says, let them. So it's something corporate. He wants a corporate expression of himself. He wants to, uh, to be expressed through man corporately. Okay, let them have dominion. Okay. Now then, and I know y'all might know this little tune, um, and I'm not very good at singing, but uh, this is, uh, what is it? Now I forgot it already. God's eternal pur- purpose is to have a group of people created in his image and with his likeness to be filled with him as life to express him and represent him. Okay, God's eternal purpose is to have a group of people created in his image and with his likeness to be filled with him as life to to express him. God wants a corporate expression and a corporate representation. That's what he's after. And that's what all of this move is toward. Okay, that's what all of the move, whether you're talking creation or you're talking... You know, all the things he did in the Old Testament through man, you know, it's all toward this corporate expression. And of course, we know what happened in the garden there. Did he succeed in the beginning in Genesis? Puts man in the, in the garden. What happened? Right there was the tree of life. All he had to do was take in God as life. But instead, a serpent came in, thwarted the plan, frustrated God from accomplishing his purpose right there. And God was delayed, but not defeated. Praise the Lord. (laughs) So this move tonight, uh, we're going to get back to the uh, accomplishing his eternal purpose. And the result is going to be what? A corporate expression of himself. Amen. Okay, so let's go to point one there. And we're going to see what? 
The tri- Let's read it together. The triune God is likened to a river. How about you look to your neighbor and tell them that the triune God is likened to a river? Amen. Okay, brothers, how about you read Genesis 2.10? And when we're reading Genesis 2.10, we're at the very beginning of the Bible. And then the sisters are going to read Revelation 22.1, and then we're at the very end of the Bible. Okay, so we're going to read the very beginning and end of the Bible here. Um, brothers, first, go, Genesis. Man, sisters. Yeah, so at the beginning is a river, at the end of the is a river, and we have to realize this is significant. God is depicting himself or showing us what? Something concerning himself being a flowing God. And you know, I was thinking what else about a river? Another thing about a river, if you go to a, you know, these rivers in Texas, you know, depending on the, <laughs> if we had any rain or not, they may not be moving too much. But rivers move. If you go look at the Mississippi River, that river is moving with a purpose. I mean, it is moving with a destination. It's not stopping for anything. You get in that river, you, guess where you're going to end up? You're going to end up in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and pretty rapidly, too. Listen. The beginning of, beginning of the Bible, God is likened or, you know, portrayed there like a, like a river. And his destination is right there in Revelation, the new Jerusalem. And all the way through, what is he doing? He's flowing. He's moving. And he's moving toward a destination. Okay, now, with this river, um, like I said, because God got frustrated there with man, but because of the fall, God had to take some steps. We could no longer receive the almighty God who dwells, Timothy, uh, Paul told us in Timothy, he dwells in unapproachable light. Any of you guys able to go into unapproachable light? I heard NASA is trying to send a, some kind of probe into the sun. I thought, good luck with that. <laughs> How far is that thing going to get uh, before it burns up? That, that's like man trying to go to God. It's impossible. Forget it. But praise the Lord, God came to man um, in his trinity. This is how he solved the problem, and this is how he reaches man, is through his divine trinity. Okay, so with the trinity, uh, we find out from Matthew 28, 19, that you bat, uh, the disciples were told to what? Go, therefore, and disciple the nations, baptizing them. They need to be baptized. Where? Into the name of of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So right here we're introduced to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name, because he's one. (laughs) This is the mystery of the Trinity, right? He's one, yet he has the aspect of three. That's why we have triune. (laughs) Tri is the three, un is the one. We have a triune God. We Christians have a triune God. And I hope after tonight you realize this is not a small thing. This is very, very critical. Sometimes today, if people, they may not realize, they may be a believer, but they may not realize the importance of God being triune. So, you know, a Mormon comes along. Do the Mormons believe in the triune God? No. 
Do the Jehovah Witnesses believe in the triune God? No. But if we're not clear, we may think, oh, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's kind of about the same. Look how good they behave. You know, they go, they go to whatever that is, that temple every so often, and Sunday or whatever. Listen, it's critical. Without his trinity, God cannot reach man. Without his trinity, the river can't flow. I tell you, I've had a lot of debates with Jehovah Witnesses. And most of the time, I go away with a headache. But the one time that I did not go away with a headache, I told that, those Jehovah Witnesses that God wants to reach them. This is why he's triune, because he's flowing. And I got totally released, and that was the best experience I ever had with a, because I touched this matter right here. God's purpose, his economy, the way he's going to carry out his plan is in, uh, in his three, in the three of the Trinity. Okay, so we have the, let's see this, uh, we have point two. You ready? Point two, let's read it together. The source of the river, the Father. Okay, how about we all read this verse together? 1 Corinthians 8, 6, go. Yet to us Yeah, so here we have the source of the river, the Father. Now, if you think about a river, um, there's a number of different ways rivers begin, but one way, like out there in West Texas, you have these great reservoirs underground. I think, aren't they artesian springs or something like that? And we even have, a, um, we have an aquifer in San Antonio, and they're always telling us, well, it's, up to, it's down to 626 feet. I have no idea what that means, but it means you better ration your water, apparently. We've never run out of water, but every summer we've got to be careful because we may run out of water. Anyway, maybe that's true. But you know what? With God, you never run out. <laughs> we don't have to ration. Praise the Lord. You can drink as much as you want. <laughs> so with the, with the Father, he is like the underground uh, reservoir in this, in this picture. Okay, I'm giving you a picture with this matter of the river. So you had this underground reservoir, but what good is that to me when I'm on, you know, standing here on the uh, top of the planet? I need water. How am I going to get it? There has to be a spring. And that spring, that gushing up, is the sun. It's the outlet where the reservoir emerges. But that may be way over there. Now I need what? I need a flow, a flow to reach. So you see, even there in that picture, you have three is it, is it three different kinds of water? One water in three stages to reach man. Okay, that's, so this is very similar. Um, so this verse tells us that to us there is one God, the Father. Okay, one God. And I had a little example up here I tried to draw on the bottom. I'm sorry if you're on the side, you probably can't see it too well. But in the blue down here at the bottom... There's another illustration we like to use to try to you know, convey this realization concerning the triune God, and that is electricity. You know, electricity today is produced and generated and stored in these big old plants. Huge electricity plant and uh, power plant. And so on the left, I have that, that's the plant, okay? And then over here are the people with all of their iPods and um, computers and you know, alarm clock, maybe, whatever, that needs electricity, and they need power. Okay, so how does the power from this huge plant, 
which has, I don't know how many kilovolts or gillivolts or quintillivolts or whatever, of power. Okay, this thing is loaded. And again, in the illustration, this is like the Father. Here we are. Listen, you can try to make a run and go directly into the power plant. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get fried. Actually, you won't make it, but if you could, you would get fried. So what happened is uh, you need to have the uh, electrical wires put up, and then you need to have eventually the current flowing. So in this illustration, the wires are likened to the sun, or the sun is likened to the wires, and the Holy Spirit is the current flowing along those lines. Okay, with this setup, we are able to enjoy the uh, flowing power, right? And similarly, because God has all that he's done in Christ, we are able to enjoy him today in a very sweet way. We're not, is anybody getting fried here tonight? Is he just too much for somebody tonight? They can't sit still? The triune God is flowing in a very sweet, enjoyable way into all of his people. How? Through the Son and as the Spirit. Okay, so here, that's the Father. Okay, that's the source, the reservoir, or the power plant. And now let's see the, uh, the course of the river, the sun, all right? Uh, we have here the first point. Let's just, read, let's just read the points A, B, C, D, E. Ready? Go. A. B. Very good. So now we get to the move, the course. Okay, and here... Um, in his incarnation, let's read these verses, John 1, 1, 14, and 18, and we'll have, let's see who's up, the brothers. Ready, brothers? Go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah, I'll keep going, brothers, do the whole thing. The Word became flesh. So this is, this is huge. This moving God who's done so much, man still doesn't really know him, doesn't, not really, doesn't know that much about him. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, he is God incarnate, and it says, we beheld his glory. So awesome. Now, God not only is triune, but he embodied himself in the Son and now has incarnated himself in humanity. That means he put on humanity. So before, what was God? He was divinity in his nature. But when he um, became a man or came in, in Christ, he added to himself humanity. Okay, so he entered, divinity entered into humanity, and then he mingled humanity and divinity into one entity. Okay, so we like to use this little illustration. Um, I've got this blue dye here, and um, I have a... Uh, it's actually not blue dye, but because I've been drinking it. <laughs> so, and we have a white handkerchief. Now, the white handkerchief in this illustration depicts God in his divinity. Okay? And he is only divine. Is there anything wrong with him? He's perfect. He's wonderful. But he's only divine. Okay, then, you know, and if I could 
if I had the bowl and everything, anyway, and real blue dye, but uh, we could do this. We put the uh, handkerchief in there. Could do a little magic trick. And uh, then we have the, uh, anyway. <laughs> Didn't work too well, okay. I did not be so elevated here. Okay, and then after incarnation, voila. <laughs> so now he is also human. He's put on humanity. That's the blue dye is the humanity. So just like the white handkerchief gets in, mingled with the blue dye, God got mingled with humanity. This is amazing. So, you know, still... The two elements are distinguishable, and there's not a third entity produced. This is mingling, right? Okay, so that's just a little illustration of him. This is a big step. You've got to realize this is a huge step. God's never going to be the same. I mean, he's the same as he ever was in his divinity, but he's added something to himself. He's added humanity to himself. He is forever got the element of humanity. Wonderful. Okay, and you know what's amazing too? Before, it was impossible to bridge the gap to God, okay? And up here we have an have illustration, another one, or uh, we have the diagram, which shows uh, the triune God, and he, he's uh, been there from eternity. He is spirit, and then in Christ, in his move in Christ, he what? He was incarnated, and he became a man, the Lord Jesus, all right, so here's the, we're, I tried to pre-draw this here so I wouldn't have to take the time to, to draw it while I was sharing. And this man expressed God in everything he did. Marvelous. He declared him. Okay, and he had a wonderful human living. Um, let's read these verses. It's sister's turn. Um, sisters, how about you read uh, John 5, 19, brothers on Mark 1, 15 through 16, and then the sisters again on Mark. Okay, sisters, you ready? John 5.19, go. Brothers. Repent. Amen. Yes. Sisters. Mm. Marvelous. Again, we're laying the foundation. God is moving here, and he's moving in humanity. And it was so awesome. When you met the Lord Jesus, do you know who you were talking to? You were talking to God. <laughs> wow. And he said, you were even talking to the Father. You might think, oh, well, you know, is it the Son or the Father? Listen, God, the triune God is one. You can never forget that. You cannot separate the Trinity. Okay? Yes, in his move, he has the aspect of three, but he is always one. So guess what? When the sun um, came, okay, let me get somebody up here. Uh, how about Uriah? Can you come up here, Uriah? 
You mind? All right. Get right up here. Uh, okay. So I'm gonna try try a demonstration here. This is the um, this is the uh, son. Now I am the father. Okay, for demonstration purposes. And um, <laughs> okay, then um, now we think that's, so. We have verses like say, "God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son." Right. So we think, oh, okay, I'm going to give my son. But actually, I come with him. So when, when you get the son, guess who else is there? <laughs> package right? deal. Right? Yeah, package deal. Now, that's why this, this word in Greek, from, he came from the father. It has the, it's para, uh, P-A-R-A, I believe. It has the uh, sense of from with. So I'm sending you but I'm going with you. All right? Okay, can you go over there? <laughs> so listen, when he was on the earth, he, he was from the Father. The Father had sent him. But you know what he said? He said, do you not believe that I am in my Father and the Father is in me? Then he said another astounding thing. He who has seen me has seen the Father. They were like, Lord, show us the Father. We'll be so happy. Just show us the Father. And he told them, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay. And then another place he said what? I and the Father are one. Then another place he said, in that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I in you. Anyway, so praise the Lord. Thank you, Uriah. So we have to realize here, when we're seeing the Son in action, the Father is all together there. It is the triune God passing through this, we call it a process, right? He's, be, he's going through a process. Just like the adding of the dye to the handkerchief was a process, his human living was a wonderful process. He uh, had very, very normal experiences. He was hungry, thirsty, sick, tired. He suffered a whole lot. Um, just think of all the suffering he had. Uh, it's really something from his parents, from his brothers, and sisters, from his disciples, from the Jews. It just goes on and on. Uh, thank you, Lord. Passing through human living. And listen to this. He expressed in his humanity the bountiful God in his rich attributes through his aromatic virtues. Okay, so the Lord, when you, when you saw him or met him or, or uh, listened to him, there was an aroma. There was a fragrance, something aromatic about him. How else could he tell people, come, follow me? Davis, come, follow me. If, you just, if I just came up to you and said that, what would you do? <laughs> Probably nothing, huh? You think, yeah, he, well, you're strange. What's this old guy talking about? But Jesus was expressing the bountiful God in his rich attributes through his aromatic virtues he was so fragrant that people just dropped everything and followed him think about that that is amazing just chunk it i'm done done with my job done with my career done with my father even i'm done with my family i'm done with everything i'm following this man why because he smells so good <laughs> i see god expressed in him wow I was, I was talking to this sister one time. Sorry, I got a little problem with the oak today, I think. 
Um, and she was really impressed with the, you know, an older brother. And she told me, you know what she told me? She said, he smells like Christ. I thought that is the highest compliment I think you can give somebody. Wow, he smells like Christ. What does that mean? That means that person enjoyed the Lord so much and had so much Christ wrought in them that this other person could literally discern that. We're not talking, obviously, a physical smell, but an aromatic, something expressed in their humanity. And this is, uh, anyway, wonderful. Okay, um, another thing, of course, the Lord lived not by his natural life, even though it was, he didn't have any sin, he didn't have any problems, but he put that life off and lived by the divine life. He lived by the Father. And how did, you know, you know when he put that off? Baptism. You ever wonder why he had to be baptized? When he was baptized, he was saying, I am not going to live by my natural life. I'm going to live by the Father. I'm going to live by the divine life. And he lived that life the whole time. He lived a crucified life. So this is, baptism is really important, right? In baptism, we put off our old man, and we put off living according to the flesh, and we are going to live by another life. We're going to live a newness of life, right? So uh, we, brothers and sisters, we need to be baptized. Let's follow the Lord and be baptized. All right, um, let's go to the next point, crucifixion. This is the next step on the process, and if you're following the diagram up here, um, well, I didn't put the human living, but here we have this human living. Okay. All right. So let's go to crucifixion now, and um, let's all read the verse together. Okay, this is, he's, he's hanging there on the cross. He had just expired, and John 19.34 tells us what? Let's read it together. But one of the soldiers... Amen. Immediately there came out what? Yes, and of course, blood is for our redemption, and um, water is for signifies the divine life for our regeneration. Blood and water. This is what the church is produced by: is the Lord's wonderful redemption and his. his release, divine life. Okay, so what, y'all know what got terminated? His death was wonderful. Every other death in Adam is what? Terrible. Does anybody like somebody to die? Horrible. But when Christ died, that was wonderful. Okay, when he died, guess what happened to your sins? Taken away. Okay, so sin is one thing that got taken away there. Okay. And then, uh, what is the root of sins? Plural. plural. What's the uh, singular? Or where's, the, where's it coming from? Yeah, that gift from Satan, sin, sinful nature. Uh, that, in, um, we know in 2 Corinthians 5, him who knew no sin, he made sin on our behalf, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, what else? Is that all? The world. Right. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And of course, Paul said, the world's been crucified to me, and I to the world. 
in Galatians. Um, so the, that kind of led us to the second one, or the next one. The ruler now the, is the judgment of this world, and who else? The ruler of this world. Right, Satan, the devil. Okay? And in Hebrews 2.14, it says that uh, through death he might destroy him who has the might of death. The devil. That is the devil. And, of course, in, uh, I think he also talks about in um, John 3.8, he undoes the works of the devil. Isn't that good? Lord, undo the works of the devil. Amen. Uh, what else? How about our old man? He got crucified, Romans 6.6. 6. Um, how about our flesh? Yeah. And actually, the entire old creation got, got a, a dose of the death of Christ, got terminated, because, uh, and that was signified by the big veil that was in the temple. And when he died, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, showing that God did it. And on that veil was all these cherubim embroidered, representing God's creation. So the entire creation got torn. How about that death? What a wonderful death. We have a song, Lord, how we thank you for your death. Oh, praise the Lord for the death of Christ. Okay, and positively, forgot the positive point, sorry. He did what? He released the divine life. This life that had been concealed in the shell of his humanity was released through his crucifixion. Okay, so life got released. All right? Um, so that's the positive one. Okay, then he was buried. And on the third day, what happened? He resurrected. So let's all read uh, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be... Amen. So in resurrection, Christ firstly became the firstborn son of God. Right? And this is really marvelous. Because previously, up to this time, he was the only begotten son of God, John 3.16. But after his resurrection, according to Acts 13.33... And then in Romans, we see that he is the firstborn. He's called the firstborn. Okay, how do you go from being the um, only begotten to the firstborn? There's got to be another one, right? I, I really enjoy being the only begotten child of my parents until my sister came along. I never got over that. <laughs> now I've got to share all the attention. Anyway, uh, so, so, you know, Resurrection was also a big birth, a regeneration of all the children of God. We just read the verse. Okay, when did you get regenerated? Let's read that verse again. I'll read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has regenerated us unto a living hope when we got regenerated. When you believed in the Lord. Through the resurrection. Through the resurrection. So when Christ was resurrected, we couldn't, you, nobody saw this at the time, but in the spiritual realm, there was a grand delivery of all the children of God. So we were actually born again, <laughs> regenerated, before we were ever born. 
How about you turn to your neighbor and tell him when you were uh, regenerated? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> we got regenerated through the resurrection. And then he became a life-giving spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says that Christ became, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So this is really critical, okay? Because he is moving, he wants to do what? He wants to get to man. He wants to give life to man, right? So he is now a life-giving spirit. All right, this is really, really crucial, okay? And another thing that's wonderful here... um, We'll get to that in a minute. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll move on here. Uh, let's go to Ascension. Okay, we're now in Ascension. And uh, that's up on top on the uh, throne there. Uh, let's read Ephesians 4, 8 together. You ready? Go, everybody. Therefore, the Scripture says, Wow. This is part of his move. He is ascending to the highest place in the universe. And if we look at Revelation, I don't know if you've ever looked at Revelation 5, but you see a, well, four, in chapter 4, you see a scene before Christ's ascension. And right, right there, there's weeping going on. Even John starts weeping too, because there's nobody in the universe qualified to take the scroll from the one on the throne. That means there's nobody in the universe qualified to execute God's economy. To execute God's administration. But in chapter 5, one appears on the scene. A lamb standing as just having just been slain. It's like you're looking at the inauguration of the resurrected and ascended Christ in Revelation chapter 5. You're seeing the scene. It's like on YouTube. You know, I, I, watched, uh, uh, I wasn't able to see anything of the inauguration ceremony here. We had a recent presidential election, and there was an inauguration ceremony. Because, you know, you have the election, and then that takes several months before you finally get around to the transfer of power. Um, but anyway, nowadays on YouTube, you can just click and watch the, watch the scene and watch the inauguration. Okay, so there, Christ was inaugurated. All right, he was given all authority. He was made Lord, uh, yeah, Lord and Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has all authority. I mean, watching that inauguration, it's impressive. It's a very official ceremony. And basically, there is a transfer of power going on there. Amazing amount of power. Um, you know, in our case, with the uh, president, you're now the president. And you're also, I think, the commander-in-chief. And there's probably a whole bunch of other titles that you get along with that. Because there's so much power involved. Okay. Now, why is that important? Well... If you're a presidential candidate, you're out there stumping, giving all these speeches, you're making all these promises. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to fix y'all's problems, and I'm going to fix your problems, and I'm going to do all this. I'm going to take care of everybody. I'm going to fix everybody's problem, right? Okay, but as a candidate, can I do anything? I can't do anything. I can make all the promises I want. But until the inauguration, there's no power. I can't actually do anything. Just all a bunch of promises. But when Jesus was made Lord in Christ, 
When he ascended, listen, he got all the power. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, on, he's in his incarnate, he's in his human living there. He's making all kinds of promises. He's promising this, he's promising that, he's promising you're going to have water flowing out of your innermost being. He's promising you'll never be thirsty again. You know, he's got all kinds of promises. But it wasn't until this point you could be sure every promise is going to be carried out. He's going to fully execute God's new covenant. He's going to carry out every detail of it in all of us. Oh, praise the Lord for his ascension. Okay, so now then let's go to point four. Let's all read together. The flow of the river of the Spirit. Um, let's read that point together. Four. The flow. Praise the Lord. A. Life-giving. Okay, now we have the brothers here on the first um, campaign promise. And then the sisters will do the uh, second campaign promise. John 7, 7, 37 through 30. I put that in quotes, of course. Just, uh, they were his uh, wonderful promises he gave. Okay, let's go, brothers, on John 4, 14. Amen. Gushing up into eternal life. I've got rivers of life flowing out of my innermost being. I've got rivers of life flowing out of my innermost being. Okay, stop, stop. <laughs> I don't know how to do the stop, but okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. We have fountain of water gushing up out of our, into eternal life. Amen. Did this promise get fulfilled? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's because now, as the life-giving spirit, and as the ascended one, he can, what? Give life to man. He can pour himself out to man. Okay, and I have over here, well, we'll get to that in a minute. We always put the three circles, but I'm going to put something different today. Praise the Lord. Um, Okay, how about the, uh, we're on the sisters now, John 7, 37 through 39. Ready, sisters, go. Again, a wonderful promise. I'm going to give you the drink, and I'm going to give you the spirit, but not yet. Why? The process is not complete. Jesus had not yet been glorified, right? So, but once he had finished the process, guess what? The water's available. The spirit's available. Now, this is really interesting because it says the spirit was not yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But now, wait a minute. He was born of the Spirit, right? And he cast out all the demons by the Spirit. So, and even he essentially was of the Spirit. So, how can he say that the Spirit was not yet? Well, this Spirit that was not yet was the life-giving Spirit. 
the all-inclusive spirit, the spirit that included the blue dye, <laughs> the humanity, don't forget the humanity, um, the human living with all of his sufferings, and his wonderful death with all of those judicial matters that he took care of there. Okay, all of that, including his power of his resurrection, got put into the Spirit. They're like, it's almost like ingredients. Almost, if you could, if you could want to make a shake, nowadays everybody's got those shakers with got the little ball in there and you can make a, the blender thing. Okay, you can put in a little uh, protein powder and you can put in a little vanilla and a little bit of sugar and a little bit of, getting unhealthy already, but a little cinnamon and, and you put all these things in there and then you shake it up and then you've got a wonderful drink, right? Well, this is what, like what was happening here. God was preparing a wonderful spirit. He today is a wonderful spirit. You all know that little thing, a uh, little tune? Oh, he's the wonderful spirit in us. He's the wonderful spirit in us. God is in the sun. The sun's the spirit now. He's the wonderful spirit in us. Wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. What's your problem? You know what? If you've got a problem, just drink this spirit. Everything you need is in this spirit. You having problems with the devil? I have problems with the devil. You know what I need to do? I realize when I, the devil's bothering me, I need to drink the spirit. He got terminated there. 2,000 years ago. Right? But guess what? You know how that gets organically applied to me? By the drinking the Spirit. All of these things get applied to us when we drink the Spirit. All these objective, judicial, great matters. Isn't it great he terminated my old man? But i got all kinds of problems with my old man in my daily life. But when I drink the Spirit, this cross gets applied to my old man. And I experience freedom. Freedom from the old man. Right? Praise the Lord. Oh, anyway, he's a wonderful spirit. Okay, let's have the brothers on uh, 1 Corinthians 15.45. This is the verse that actually says life-giving spirit. And let's go, brothers. Amen. And how about the sisters on the next one? John 20, 21, and 22. This is when he comes. He just resurrected. And he comes. Uh, the disciples were all huddled in um, for fear of the Jews in that little room. And he, Jesus appears. And let's read what he said. John 20, 21 through 22. Go, sisters. into them and said to them receive the holy spirit so this is the life-giving aspect this is the lord and his move okay in man reaching humanity reaching us which is what his internal intention was why so he could get a corporate expression in us praise the lord okay then there's another aspect here point b let's read that empowering okay luke um 24 49 we'll do the brothers and sisters on acts 1 8 ready brothers go 
Amen. Sisters. So this wonderful spirit has two aspects. There's a life-giving aspect, and there is an empowering aspect. Same spirit, two aspects. One is within, like breath, and the other is without, like clothing. Okay? Just like a policeman. You know, a policeman has to, on one hand, have a good breakfast, right, in the morning. That's like the, uh, the essential spirit, taking the spirit in as water, as, as breath, for life for supply. We need to do that every day, right? But then what does he need? Is he going to go out there on the street and just, um, you know, in his uh, plain clothes and lift up his hand? What's that going to, what are the cars going to do? Yeah, <laughs> maybe hit him. At least they're going to keep going, right? Not, who's that crazy guy out there? But when they see that, author- that uniform, right, when they see that authority on him, stop, right? Because that uniform uh, conveys authority. So, for God's move, I mean, for us to just drink the Lord and enjoy Him, that's the essential aspect. That's the, uh, yeah, the um, life aspect. In a sense, you don't need the, um, the uniform, right? But if, you're gonna, if God's going to move, and He's going to gain that roommate of yours, or He's going to gain that relative of yours, guess what you're going to need? You're going to need some power. You're going to need some power. For God to move... He needs, there has to be power, okay? There has to be authority. So on one hand, we take the Lord as, um, as our life. We enjoy Him. We need Him as our supply. Without enjoying Him as our life supply, we can't go on, right? But if, we're, if He's going to move through us, we also need to take Him as our uniform. Take Him, put Him on, right? Put on the ascended Christ, right? Spend a little time to pray to take Him as the ascended one. Okay, to take him as the power. All right, and then descending. This is really good. You know, the, uh, the Lord is descending. All the other religions of the world, they're all trying to get up there to God. But let's read these verses here. We'll have the uh, brothers on Acts 2.33 and sisters on Acts 2.17. You ready, brothers? Go. Sisters, Acts 2.17. Though he's gone through the process, he's done so much in his trinity to become life-giving and empowering now what? He just pours himself out. He just descends right, right to where we are. No need to go up to heaven, right? He will come. He descends right down to our situation, right? He is pouring himself out. And guess what all this is for? Let's read point five. The destination of the river. Okay, so the rest of my diagram, which some of y'all probably been wondering, what is he doing up there? <laughs> this is supposed to be the body. <laughs> okay, I, I tried. Um, and of course, who is the head of the body? Christ. 
So, amen. Um, Christ is the head of the body, and he has poured himself out for the body, the destination of the river. He's gone through a lot of trouble, y'all. He has created. Eventually, he came in a man, the Lord Jesus, went through that long tunnel, that long process of human, human life and dealt with every negative thing on the cross, everything that separates you from God and everything that separates us from one another got terminated. Why? Because he wants a body. The Lord is after a body, a corporate expression of himself. Okay, let's read these verses, uh, brothers, on um, Acts 2.24. Ready, brothers? Go. Sisters, Acts 10, 44 through 45, go. Amen. So here in Acts 2, we had the Jewish part of the body. Um, the Spirit was poured out on them. And then in Acts 10, I am so happy for Acts 10. That was at Cornelius' house because here the Gentiles got in. Oh, I am so thankful for that. You know, there was a time if you were not a Jew, you weren't in. You couldn't get into God's, you know, God's people. You couldn't get under God's blessing. You had nothing to do with God. But praise the Lord for Acts 10. <laughs> he turned to the Gentiles. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for coming to the Gentiles. Why? Because he wants one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. He wants one body, one corporate expression of himself. Now, you think about it. There's never been an entity like this, and we cannot concoct an entity like this. We cannot organize an entity like this. This is his living, organic body. How can this possibly be? How can this possibly be? The only way is by the flowing of the triune God. The only way is by Him flowing through Christ as the Spirit into us. Because you know what we need in order to be the body? We need every part of that process. We need every part of Him. We need the divinity. Right? We need divinity. Without divinity, there's no body. We need God. And guess what else we need? We need his humanity. Listen, my humanity is not going to make it in the body. Right? I don't know about you, but my humanity is anti-body. <laughs> right? So we need another humanity. We need the humanity of Jesus. Oh, this humanity is wonderful. This humanity is full of love and care and compassion, and he's balanced, and he's forgiving, and you can just go on and on and on. What, am, what, are, what are we? We're not that. <laughs> so we need the humanity, right? This, his humanity is for the body. Now listen, I tell you what we really need too is we need his wonderful death. Without his death, there can be no body. Right? What if you're, what if you're Trevor and what's your name, brother? Yeah. Darius, right. 
What if you, Trevor and Darius, y'all are still in your sins? You want to be in the body? You want to see the brothers? How do you feel after you sinned? You come praising the Lord to the meeting? Right? <laughs> uh, what if you sin against him? Trevor, he took uh, $500. Y'all going to have a good time in the meeting there? You're in one accord for the building of the Lord? <laughs> right? Praise the Lord, there's forgiveness in the humanity of Jesus. And our sins have been taken away at the cross. How about our old man? Is the old man... Saints, you just have to realize every part of him is for the body. Everything he added to himself is for the body. How about the power of his resurrection? Okay. I know when... um, (laughs) You know, whenever you want to do something um, not for the Lord... Somehow there's just power there. Right? Like you want to go, um, let's, you want to go um, play, you know, uh, play some cards or something. You can play all night long. Power. Okay? Some people that go to the gambling casino, they can gamble all night long. Where is all that energy coming from? Okay, but then it's time to go to the meeting. Oh, I'm so tired. How many times have you heard that from a brother or sister? I can't go tonight. I am so tired. Especially the prayer meeting. Oh, I am so tired. Sometimes it's almost supernatural. When we, were, when we would go preach the gospel sometimes, um, I would literally be laying on my bed thinking, I cannot move. I literally, I feel like I cannot move. I am so tired. But praise the Lord for His resurrection power. Amen. His resurrection power supplies us Amen. to live in the body and to move with the body. Amen. Eventually, the body is not just to sit there. The body is for Him to move. Amen. He wants to move. When I was on that campus as a freshman, the body moved, came to me, rescued me. Praise the Lord for His body. Amen. He moves through His body. How about His ascension? What's his ascension for? Just so he can be Lord of Lord and King of Kings and have all the angels praising him? No, it's for the body. Hey, guys, the answer is for the body, okay? What is his humanity for? What is his death for? What is resurrection for? What is his ascension for? Hallelujah! (laughs) What is this wonderful, all-inclusive, life-giving, Indwelling, sevenfold intensified spirit for. You got it. Praise the Lord. The destination of the river is the body. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 13 all together. You ready? For also Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. So this verse, you know, the body of Christ is a reality. And the way you get in, according to this verse, is we get baptized in. You've got to be baptized. You believe and you're baptized and you're put into the body. That's because when you, when you get baptized, you get buried. All that old stuff that's anti-body gets buried. And when you come up, your, your, your body. <laughs> What's the opposite of anti-body? Uh, positive body. Right? You're part of the body. Amen. 
So praise the Lord. If you haven't been baptized, I hope this weekend you can be baptized Amen. into the body. Amen. Listen, the, the Lord, all of his move is for this corporate entity that he could have a corporate expression of himself and he could have a way to move on this earth. So we can respond by being baptized. Okay, how about let's all read together Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Being diligent. One body. Amen. Amen. Let's just all read the uh, verse 3 again together, okay? Being diligent, keep the oneness of the Spirit in the uniting bond of peace. Right. I said oneness of the body, but the oneness of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the body. Thank you for doing everything for the body. So isn't it a shame, brothers, if he's done all this and he's put me in, I got baptized in, and then I would cause a problem in his body. Isn't that terrible? Lord, have mercy on me. So I need to be diligent to keep the oneness. So brother, he offended you, took that money. Okay, but he, he apologized. What are you going to do? Amen. He said, I'm going to forgive him. Praise the Lord. By grace. <laughs> He's going to need to drink a lot of the Spirit. <laughs> but eventually he will forgive him. And these two will be completely one. So, saints, we need to be diligent. This is our, the Lord has done all this work, and he wants to move through the body. But if we are not one, he cannot do that, right? So we need to be diligent to, to uh, keep the oneness of the Spirit. And what do you think the best way is to do, to do that? Remember, all those ingredients that we need for the body are where? They're in the Spirit. So, here I am, I'm, I'm trying to be diligent to keep the oneness, but the old man's rising up, the unforget, of unforgiven offenses are rising up, the, you know, all these other things rising up. What should I do? Drink. Drink the Spirit. You'll keep the oneness. The Lord will have his body for his corporate expression, and he'll be able to move on this earth. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, Okay, pray with your neighbor real quick. Amen. Amen.